Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on the great doctrines of the Christian faith as they're summarized for us in the Belgic Confession of Faith. Today, with God's help, we will once again consider the subject of the church, specifically the office bearers of the church. And in that connection, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 6 as we read the verses 1 through 7. Hear God's holy word. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. This ends the reading of the holy word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word. Dear friends, imagine a world where no one was in charge. You say that would be chaos, and you would be right. There would be no one to make decisions, no one to give direction, no one to provide leadership. You simply couldn't function in a world with nobody in charge. And that's also true for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Unless someone is in charge in the church, there will be chaos. Now, Thankfully, the Lord in his wisdom and goodness has seen fit to appoint certain men to take charge of his church. And we call these men office bearers. Now what is an office bearer? An office bearer is someone who has been given a special task by God in the church. Now in a sense, every believer in Christ is an office bearer, at least in a general sense. Every believer has been anointed into the threefold offices of Christ. Every believer is a prophet, a priest, and a king, and he or she is called to live that out in his or her everyday life. But God has also given special office bearers to lead and govern his church. And there are three such office bearers. There is the minister, there are the elders, and there are the deacons. Now we referred to these office bearers last week when we reflected on Article 30 of the Belgic Confession of Faith. And there we learned that God is a God of order. And as such, he desires order in his church. And to that end, he has provided his church with office bearers. The ministers are called to preach and administer the sacraments. The elders are required to supervise the ministry of the word and administer discipline. And the deacons are required to care for the needs of the poor, the sick, the lonely, and the distressed. Well, Article 31 continues to explore this subject 
focusing on how one becomes an office bearer and how the office bearers are related to each other and to the congregation. And so my theme is the office bearers of the church. And we'll consider, first of all, their election, secondly, their equality, and thirdly, their esteem. First, then, their election. So the first thing we confess about the office bearers of the church in this article of the Belgian Confession is that they must be elected. And I quote from Article 30, and it says there that the ministers of God's word and the elders and deacons ought to be chosen to their respective offices by a lawful election of the church with calling upon the name of the Lord and in that order which the word of God teaches. Now in making this statement, our confession is opposing two false teachings regarding the office bearers of the church. And the first is that of the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that office bearers are appointed by the church hierarchy rather than by the congregation itself. And then there's another extreme. It's the opposite extreme, and it's the extreme of Anabaptism, which back in the 16th century taught that anyone who says he's called by the Lord to be an office bearer, including a preacher of the gospel, may simply declare himself to be one without any approbation or approval of the church. Well, over and against both of these teachings, our confession says no. Office bearers are to be chosen to their respective offices by a lawful election of the church, that is, by the members of the church. Now, how is that done? Well, in Reformed churches, like my own, we follow this procedure. First of all, the church council, which consists of the elders, the deacons, and the pastor, announces vacancies to the congregation and invites the members of the congregation to draw the attention of the consistory to certain qualified men. After discussing the names, the council presents two names to the congregation, and the male members of the congregation vote, and whoever receives the most votes is deemed elected. The name of the brother is announced to the congregation, normally for two consecutive Sundays, so that if the members of the congregation know of any reason why this man should not be installed into his office, they can then declare it to the consistory. And if no legal objections are leveled, then the man is installed into office during a public worship service. Now, this process is roughly modeled after the process for selecting the first deacons in Acts chapter 6, which we read just a few moments ago. In that chapter, we read of a controversy in the early church. It seems there is often controversy in the church, and the early church was no exception to this. Apparently, the widows of the Grecians, of the Greek-speaking members, were not receiving their fair share of the benevolent help from the church. Now, why that is the case, we don't know. But rather than get entangled in such matters, the apostles in verse 2 suggested to the members of the church that they choose from among themselves seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom they could appoint to look after these matters while they gave themselves over to the ministry of the word and to prayer. And then we read in verse 5 that the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose seven men. And they set them before the apostles, and the apostles prayed and laid their hands on them, and they became the first deacons of the church. Now you'll notice that the church was involved through this entire process. The office bearers of the church are not appointed by a superior, as it is in the Roman Catholic Church nor do they simply present themselves claiming to have been called by God, 
as is the case in some Anabaptist circles. They are chosen by the church after calling on the name of the Lord. Now, why is this? Well, because the church recognizes that since Pentecost, every believer is endowed to some extent with the Holy Spirit. Every believer, as I said earlier, is a prophet, priest, and king under Christ. And as such, every believer is involved in the process of installing office bearers. And so office bearers are called by the church. But you say, do they not also have to be called by the Lord? Indeed, they do. And our confession says as much, and I quote, everyone must take heed not to intrude himself by indecent means, but is bound to wait till it shall please God to call him, that he may have testimony of his calling and be certain and assured that it is from the Lord. So before one can serve an office, whether that's the office of minister, elder, or deacon, but especially the office of minister, one must be called by the Lord. In fact, in the Reformed form of the ordination of ministers, as well as the form for the ordination of elders and deacons, the very first question that is asked of the man who's about to be installed is whether he truly feels in his heart that he is lawfully called of God and of his church to his office. Now, how does a man know if he is called? And that's a complex question. And each person experiences the calling of the Lord differently. What is more, a minister experiences the calling of the Lord differently and more deeply than an elder or a deacon, which makes sense since that is his life calling. Well, suffice it to say that the call, whether it is to the office of minister, elder, or deacon, consists of two aspects. First of all, there is an internal or a subjective aspect. And by that we mean that a man must feel in his heart that he is being called by God himself for this work. Now he will know this if he has a pure desire for the work. In other words, he must desire to do the work not to draw attention or to bring honor to himself, but rather to glorify God and to serve the congregation. He also has to have the opportunity. In other words, there, are, there should be no legitimate obstacles that stand in the way of him serving in his office. And thirdly, he has to have natural and spiritual gifts, which he himself may not see, but others will. So that's the internal aspect. But there must also be an external or an objective aspect to the call. And by that we mean that a man must be lawfully called by the church. You see, a man may be absolutely convinced that he is called to serve the Lord in one of the offices of the church, and he may even have all of the necessary qualifications. But unless he receives a call from the church, he is not called, and therefore may not, as our confession says, intrude himself by indecent means, either by forcing his way in or buying his way in, which was often done in the past, especially during the Middle Ages. The point is, a man must be called. If he's not called, he may not serve. Now, what can we learn from all of this? First of all, we have seen that the congregation is involved in the election of office bearers. Now, since that is so, let us take this very seriously. Let us consider carefully whom we nominate for this office. And let us only nominate men who meet the qualifications spelled out in the Word of God. 
and not simply men whom we like or who agree with us on certain issues. And let us pray fervently throughout this entire process that the Lord may lead the church council and the congregation to the men whom God himself has chosen. In other words, very, very briefly, let the process of installing office bearers be a spiritual exercise and not a political one. And let us do this looking to the Lord. Then and only then can we expect the Lord's blessing. But secondly, we've seen that the men who are chosen into office must be called and elected. Now, that means that those who are proposed to the congregation must search their hearts to determine if they are truly called by the Lord. To serve as an office bearer of the church is a great privilege. In fact, it's arguably the greatest privilege a man can ever have in this life, but it is also a great responsibility. And let us therefore never take it lightly. And if you're called to serve today, you must never lightly decline. Unless there's a weighty reason why you cannot serve, you must do so, for it is God who calls through his church. And so office bearers are elected into office after being called by God. But once they are elected, what then? How do they relate to the other office bearers of the church? And that brings us to our second point. The Belgian Confession makes it clear that once elected into office, the office bearers, including the ministers, are all equal, meaning they all have the same rank and authority. And that's expressed in the second paragraph of this article. And I quote, As for the ministers of God's word, they have equally the same power and authority wherever they are, as they are all ministers of Christ, the only universal bishop and the only head of the church. Now here again, our confession is denouncing the false teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. According to the Roman Catholic Church, the church is ruled by a hierarchy of bishops, the pope being the chief bishop. And so the higher up the pyramid you go, the greater rank and authority the person has. But friends, this is wrong. The scriptures nowhere teach that some ministers have more power or authority than others. In fact, they teach the exact opposite. They teach, as we confess here, that they are all equal. Nor can any man claim to be the head of the church. The sole head of the church is our Lord Jesus Christ. No man, not even a minister, may usurp him from that position. Christ is and always must remain the only head of the church. He and he alone is the great shepherd, and ministers are mere under-shepherds under him. Now that's exactly what the scriptures teach. In Matthew 23, verses 8 to 12, Jesus says to his disciples these words, But be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. (coughs) But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. So Jesus here forbids his disciples from assuming the title rabbi or master. Why? Because he is their teacher and they are brethren. That is, they have the same rank and the same authority. One is not higher 
than the other. In fact, anyone who tries to make himself more exalted than others, Jesus says, shall be abased. Now he says something similar in John chapter 13. And there we have the well-known account of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And after he did this, Jesus turned to his disciples and he said this, verse 12, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that sent, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. So here Jesus commands his disciples to wash one another's feet, not literally, of course, but figuratively. The point is they are to be servants to each other. They are not to think of themselves as higher than anyone else. They are all equal. In addition, while the Roman Catholic Church holds up Peter as being the first pope, Peter never saw himself as having a greater rank than any of the other elders of the church, despite his position as an apostle. For one thing, when he refused to eat with the Gentiles, he allowed himself to be rebuked by Paul. We can read of that in Galatians chapter 2. For another thing, when he wrote to the leaders of the churches in Asia Minor, he describes himself as a fellow elder, as he says in 1 Peter 5, verse 1. And so the scriptures are clear. No minister is of greater rank or has greater power or authority than any other. They're all equal under their only king and chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that does not mean, however, that some office bearers may from time to time be given more responsibility and therefore an added degree of dignity or honor. For example, within the church council, the pastor is normally the chairman. Not because he's better or more important than the others, but because it's part of his task. It's part of his calling to be the leader in the church. Also, ministers, not elders, are always chosen to, read, to, ch- chosen to chair the broader assemblies of the church, like classes meetings and synod meetings. Again, not because they're better, but because this is their task. This is their calling. But in terms of rank and authority, they are all equal. They're equal even to the elders and to the deacons, as well as among themselves. Now, we need to be reminded of that from time to time. Because there is such a tendency in the church to bestow greater esteem on some men and not on others. In some denominations, for example, ministers and even certain elders are put on such a pedestal that one hardly dares challenge or even speak to them. My friends, that is wrong. As we'll see in a moment, ministers and elders are worthy of honor and respect because of their office, but they should never be put on a pedestal. Another tendency is to view the office of deacon as less important or less significant than the office of elder. Deacons are viewed as a kind of junior partners in the church council, but that is also wrong. The office of elder is not more weighty than the office of deacon. They're two different offices with two different functions, but they are both equal in authority and status. The point is, there should be no hierarchy in the church of Christ. There's only one head, and that is Christ. All the other office bearers are under him and ultimately are accountable to him. And so in relation to each other, the office bearers of the church have the same rank and authority. But what about in relation to the members of the congregation? What's the relationship between the office bearers and the members of the congregation? We look at that 
under our third point. While there is equality between the office bearers, there is not equality between the office bearers and the members of the congregation. The Bible clearly teaches that the office bearers have authority and are set over the members of the congregation. In Acts 20, verse 28, Paul exhorts the Ephesian elders to take heed unto themselves. And he says, to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. And in Hebrews 13, verse 7, the writer to the Hebrews enjoins his readers to remember them which have the rule over you. And a few verses later, in the same chapter, verse 17, he writes, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account. And in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 16, Paul exhorts the Corinthians to submit themselves to Timothy and Apollos, both ministers of the gospel, and to everyone that helps with us and labors. And so the scriptures are clear. The office bearers have authority over the members of the congregation. Now, that does not mean that the office bearers may rule the church like dictators. Not at all. Although they have authority, they must exercise it lovingly and pastorally. In 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and 3, Peter writes to the elders of the church, and he says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. But then he adds this, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. The fact that office bearers have authority in the congregation means they should be held in high esteem. They should be respected. Not because they're better, not because they're more important than anyone else, because they're not. They're just as weak and sinful as everyone else in the congregation, but because of their office, which they have received from Christ himself. And that's exactly what we confess in the last paragraph of this article. There we confess that everyone ought to esteem the ministers of God's word and the elders of the church very highly for their work's sake. Now that too is exactly what the scriptures teach. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 13, Paul writes this, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. <clears throat> in 1 Timothy 5, verse 17, Paul writes this, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. And so the scriptures are clear. The members of the congregation are to respect and highly esteem their office bearers. Now, how do we show that in practical ways? Well, we can show that in several ways. First of all, we esteem our office bearers highly when we speak to and about them in a respectful way, always thinking the best of their motives and intentions, even when it comes to issues you disagree with. Secondly, we esteem our office bearers highly when we pay heed to their counsel and admonishments. Now, does that mean we must do whatever the office bearers tell us to do? Of course not. If the office bearers require us to do something that is contrary to the word of God or that violates our conscience, then we not only may, but we must disobey. But only after seeking to convince them of, the errors of, of, of their errors on the basis of Holy Scripture, or at least on the basis of scriptural principles, and exhausting every avenue of appeal. But in all other matters, we are called by God to submit and obey. Thirdly, we esteem our office bearers highly when we encourage them. And I wonder, do you ever do that? 
Do you ever send the office bearers of your church an encouraging email or a card thanking them for all of their diligent labors and assuring them of your support and your prayers? You know, we're often quick to criticize and complain about our office bearers, but do we ever really sincerely from the heart encourage them? Fourthly, we esteem our office bearers highly when we stand behind them. What a difference it makes to the office bearers when they know that the congregation is behind them, supporting them. Conversely, what a discouragement it is for office bearers when the congregation turns against them or when a faction in the congregation does or when the office bearers are afraid to make a decision about something because of the backlash that they may encounter as a result. This ought not to be in the church of Christ. Fifthly, we esteem our office bearers highly when we pray for them. As office bearers of the church, we need the prayers of the congregation. We have a weighty task, and one that often requires much wisdom, and we are all just ordinary men like everybody else. And therefore, we ask you to pray that the Lord would give us the gifts gifts and the graces necessary to lead and guide the congregation according to the word of God. And so the scriptures are clear. We must esteem and obey our office bearers. In short, as our confession says, we must, and I quote, to be at peace with them without murmuring, strife, or contention as much as possible. Well, friends, are you doing that today in any or all of the ways that I have just mentioned? Make no mistake. How we treat our office bearers is a deeply spiritual matter. In in John 13, verse 20, Jesus says to his disciples, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. And so what Jesus is saying is this, If you love and honor and obey your office bearers, you love and honor and obey me. If you do not love and honor or obey your office bearers, you do not honor, love, and obey me. Now, of course, it can sometimes happen, also in church life, that you simply cannot submit to the office bearers of the church, either because they've made a decision that's unscriptural or they've acted inappropriately and they refuse to repent. And in such cases, it may be necessary for you to leave and to worship elsewhere. But such a decision should never be made lightly. As I said earlier, never without doing everything possible to work things out and to part on brotherly terms and in love. Well, this then is a very brief summary of what the scriptures teach concerning the office bearers of the church of Christ. My friends, how thankful we should be that the Lord has given us such office bearers to rule over us, to shepherd us, to lead and to guide us. What a powerful display of Christ's love for his church. Sometimes we don't see that. We hear a sermon like the one this afternoon or or last week and we say, well, where is Christ in all of this? Well, he's there. He's behind every word of this article. For the government of the church is of his devising, and it is given to us for our benefit. Therefore, praise him for his loving care and concern. Amen. Friends, we always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can give us a call at 778-982-9102. For those who take the time to write, I will gladly send you a free copy of the Belgic Confession of Faith so that you can more easily follow along 
as I explain each of its 37 articles. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. You can send us a check in any amount to 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X 2M9. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.